Thundergrunt Podcast Network. It is absolutely necessary for the peace and safety of mankind that some of Earth's dark, dead corners and unplumbed depths be let alone, lest sleeping abnormalities wake to resurgent life and blasphemously surviving nightmares squirm and splash out of their black lairs to newer and wider conquests. Curioso is someone who inquires in esoteric matters, a collector of knowledge. Curioso so for preparation for today, uh-huh. I watched uh, a few documentaries. There are uh, a handful. That I found on uh, YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every one of them, they kept on calling him xenophobic. Mm-hmm. Xenomorphic, xenophobic. Right? Yeah, but you're I, afraid of the aliens yeah. from the alien movies. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, you know, everyone that I speak to that doesn't seem to be putting on airs about the situation is that he was a racist <laughs> asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yes Wait a minute, is this the no. Edison episode or is this <laughs> <laughs> that too? Uh, no, we're talking about H.P. Lovecraft. Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Not, not Philip. Yeah. Phillips. So when I was younger, there was I thought an it was on the Philip, but it's Phillips. With an S. So it's like plural? Yes. Is, a, is, that, his, is that his mother's maiden name? I yes. Think? Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he was rather racist, but as we go through, there are reasons for the quote-unquote xenophobia. Well, so they're always? Well, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. So considering the fact that we're talking about a writer today, Joe, mm-hmm. um, we brought uh, a writer on. One of our, mm-hmm. one of our good friends uh, who you probably remember around this time last year, mm-hmm. he came on to talk about horror with us. So here he is, Mr. Ron Malfi. <gasps> Hello. I was I was hoping I'd get the esteemed. Oh, uh, oh I'm. Okay. <laughs> well, you you got the friend, isn't Esquire. That? I suppose right? I have Doctor Esquire, <laughs> esteemed Ron. You have a friend in me. <laughs> That's right. Landowner. Yes. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. How you been? I've been good. I've yeah. been real good. Yeah, I'm sitting here having some beers. It's what nine o'clock at night, or life's good. All right. Uh, my homebrews. Your oh, homebrews. Yeah. That's right. Very good. Up. Bring that <laughs> it's, up. It's, it's like we're really pushing them to sell them or something. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Every single time I, somebody comes on, I'm like, have some of my homebrew. Like, www.homebrew.com. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the start of our October, what, Crypt Kicker 5 Halloween extravaganza is what we called it last year? But yeah, every single time it's Halloween comes around, uh, there seems to be... Five uh, five Thursdays mm-hmm. in the month, and we yeah. So this is the this is the kicker. This mm-hmm. is the beginning of the October Extravaganza Fest. 
the beginning of the end. <laughs> but we, shouldn't it be Quintober if there's Quintober. five? I'm all confused. Yeah, no, it's, it's a yeah. It's like a pentagram. That's right. It's a writer thing. <laughs> <laughs> Words and mixing them up. Words. The old portmanteau. <laughs> that was toe. It, if you stub it. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> is there uh, is there like an accent at the end? Is that what makes the two? Like I don't. Nah, it's spelled like French. Like déjà, déjà yeah, two. Yeah, déjà trois, <laughs> ménage trois, with a toe. Pretty sure it's pronounced tours. <laughs> <laughs> so we are talking about H.P. Lovecraft, guys. Mm-hmm. What uh, briefly? Just tell me when when your uh, first encounter with Mr. Lovecraft was. What you guys know, just generally before doing research. Well. Before doing research, I think that mine was probably Reanimator. Hmm. I, I didn't even know that he had written it. I mean, I, you know, I suppose that it was probably on the cover of the box, but at that mm. point, I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, I read a lot of comics, but I wasn't really into who wrote them. You know, I read some books, but I wasn't really into who wrote, wrote them. them. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I just there's words on a page. It wasn't until <laughs> later on, you know, that I started forming things together and going, "Oh, okay, that's where that came from." So right. I think I saw it probably in my early teen years. You know, okay. I watched Reanimator. Mm. You know, probably at a slumber party where we all dolled each other up, painting each other's fingernails. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Last week. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> what show were we at? <laughs> Uh, well, unlike you, uh, and, and you know, being interested in books and writing, I, I did read stuff and, and paid attention to the authors, and uh, um, and I'd probably say that uh, a lot of the horror writers that I started reading at a young age were were influenced by Lovecraft's work, and I, I wasn't aware of that at the time reading them, but. You, you read enough of the stuff and you find uh, a commonality in theme and mm-hmm. the, the specific cosmic uh, horror that he wrote was prevalent in a lot of a lot of the, the fiction I read. I, I know that uh, I mean authors like like Stephen King cite cite him as a as an influence early on in his career, mm. um, and uh, you know so so based on that uh, I had gone back and 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 read some of his fiction when I was younger and. Remember being a little bit confused because I, I, I don't know exactly when the when the time change shifted, but uh, I, I believe that pretty much everything of his was in public domain, pretty probably much, yeah. when I started reading it. And I, I remember being a little confused as to what he wrote and what other authors had taken on as Lovecraft's mm-hmm. uh, work. Um, and confused back then, I find that interesting. Now I know I know quite a few writers, some of whom I'm I'm, I'm good friends with. Uh, who have uh, kind of picked up the mantle and, and either written a, a works derivative of his style to mm-hmm. works um, very much picking up where he left off. Edward Lee is, is one of the, the authors who is known for his really visceral uh, horror novels, his original work, but he's also written a lot of uh, Lovecraft-themed uh, mm-hmm. books as well. Yeah. Um, so I kind of bled my way into into knowing about him, him and his work. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and that's he was a huge proponent for people taking uh, his ideas, especially when it mm-hmm. came down to like the Cthulhu <laughs> mythos, it, it was that huge, expansive world. You know, uh, friends of his, colleagues, he was like, "Well, do something with it." You know, mm-hmm. take this little tiny bit of my story, and if you can add stuff or you think of something, like you know, run with it. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of a you know uh, proponent for taking his work and expanding on it. Right. You know, 
and so it's it's kind of it's a natural progression for authors, I guess, to you know, in a time to do that. Now it's like, oh, you're just aping this person or you're ripping off that person. Yeah. You know what I mean? But back then it was kind of a smaller community of writers that he was working with, you know, for those little magazines like right. Tales and uh, Astonishing Stories and stuff like that. Uh, right. So just in that little group of friends that he had, it was a community rather than cutthroat, you know, me first kind of thing. Well, it's almost the most... Um, if you think about creating a mythos, the the most meta way of doing that is to enlist other people to do it with you. And that's mm-hmm. sort of, and I don't know if it was deliberate in that regard on his part, but it right. certainly added to the, the uh, notoriety of of his of mm-hmm. his mythos, his body of work, his care, his you know the creatures he created, the characters. Right, right. I also think for the the duration of this show, whenever we say Cthulhu, we have to say it like this: say it, Cthulhu. Cthulhu. It should be like a triple echo, <laughs> yeah, a trucko. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my first was um, uh, Metallica. Mm. So I was... Was it on Ride the Lightning? Yeah. yeah. That, that, that song song? There are uh, several songs that reference uh, not just Cthulhu, but, you know, uh, In the Mountains of Madness, just right. little, little things here and there. So when I was growing up, I had probably read maybe a, a few of the the short pieces mm-hmm. in random comic books or even I had a few weird tales books and stuff like that. But I didn't like Chris, I didn't it didn't click. It's like, oh these are really cool stories. I equated them to, you know, the old Saturday morning creature features. Yeah. You know, it wasn't I didn't understand that at the time. But uh yeah, Metallica, that was a you know, a thing that I liked back I in the day. Clutch may Pull some of that stuff in. I know they do a lot of mythology mm-hmm. uh, in their lyrics, but uh, yeah. Well, I, I just wanted to retouch back on what you were talking about, how he would get other people's writers. I mean, that's like uh, get other writers to write works, kind of draw. I mean, people, you know, like you were saying, people still do that today. Mm-hmm. You know, they still take the mythos and and, and whatnot. Uh, but the like, take Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You know, canon Star Wars mm-hmm. is now you know been relinquished to. A handful of other people, yeah. you know, and they keep the original, and they just keep spreading off into little vines and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's like uh, it's like open world, right? Or what's the what's the thing where, um, where you can you know people you can share technologies, things like that. Uh, uh, you know, like uh, like Linux, right? That can like be used by sharing? anyone. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We're not not file sharing, but it's you know what I mean. It's it's basically like you can take it, build it, work with it, do whatever you want. You uh, know what yeah. I mean? It's like Play-Doh. You can mold it to make your own, but it, you know the original, you know, person core is there. Yeah, yeah. Right. So let's go through just a little bit of his early life. So he was born August twentieth, eighteen ninety, in Providence, Rhode Island. His mother was Sarah Susan Phillips Lovecraft whose ancestors actually date all the way back to George Phillips, who was one of the first people to arrive in Massachusetts, dates back to like 1630. So she's, uh, what do you call that? Uh, an aristocrat, you know, ancestry, like, <laughs> you know, first founders of the state, basically. Wow. So that's where she dates back from. Uh, his father was Winfield Scott Lovecraft, and he was a traveling traveling salesman. He was called a professional traveler. That was his title. 
Really? Like basically a, a salesman. Yeah, he was a, like a door-to-door salesman kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And he worked for a company called Gorham and & Company, and they were silversmiths. <laughs> That's a great name, too. You can't make that up. <laughs> Gorham. <laughs> it's a gory ham. Delicious. When Howard was three, his father had basically a nervous breakdown. I think it was in Chicago. He was, you know, basically people said he went crazy. Mm-hmm. So he was brought back to Providence, and he was put into Butler Hospital, where he stayed for almost five years of his life in, in the hospital. I mean, and this was, this was you know, HP was really young at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was so, it, I mean, it, three, not having four. that father figure around was, mm-hmm. you know. It was pretty devastating. In 1898, his father died in the hospital. As as people did at that time in, yeah, yeah, in sanitariums, yeah, you know but the, they the, weren't the the, the best uh, the well, best the, places to be, right? But the the thing is, his mother and his aunts and his grandfather basically told him uh, his father was paralyzed, mm-hmm. and basically comatose. Yeah, so there was really no reason to go and see him because they couldn't do anything for him. Some of the the papers that were found way later for you know research for documentaries and stuff basically think that uh, he was not paralyzed, not comatose, but suffering a lot of pain due to... Syphilis. It's always syphilis. It was syphilis. Well, (laughs) I don't know if that was proven, but there was a... Yeah, it was a parasis, which is a form of neurosyphilis. Oh, really? So when you get syphilis, if it's untreated for a long time... Goes to your brain. Goes to your brain, you know, and you have... Brain syphilis. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you're a door-to-door, door-to-door salesman, you know what I mean? And, Is that and, what happens? Really? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> if if watching the movies that I've watched before <laughs> have told me anything. Not those kind of movies. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid and I you asked got my your, mom. I got I, your pizza lady. <laughs> I said, uh, hey, mom, I, and I was writing a, a story or something. I said, hey, mom, I heard that uh, syphilis can make people crazy. Is that true? And she goes, Ronald, if you want to talk about the birds and the bees, we'll sit down and talk about it like adults. And I'm like, oh, no. One of my, one of my crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> you just didn't know the connection. There's like, birds and bees crazy. I didn't, I, I, like, I, didn't I don't, know. I'm never having sex ever. <laughs> I don't want to go crazy. How'd you make that leap, mom? <laughs> so, yeah, HP's uh, upbringing kind of, you know, troubled, I would mm-hmm. say. Uh, his mom had a propensity for overreacting and and she was kind of eccentric as well uh, she was but also she was uh, apparently a like kind of hugged him too much there's a thing yeah I, I got the hugged him too much vibe too you yeah. know yeah. what i mean yeah. she was she was just i think it was just because probably because of his father being gone and everything mm-hmm. else she threw all of her affection onto him right. and was very uh, kind of an overbearing mother you right. know what i mean right. the kind of mother that you know what today Makes you would you call salads all the time. <laughs> the, the kind of mother that you would call today helicopter mothers, mm-hmm. right? Just, just, yeah, just I, hovering right behind you all the time. I think it may have gone further. I, if it, jump in if you know this for a fact, uh, and maybe look, we could have you guys have people send you messages or whatever. I'm pretty sure at one point in reading a bio on him that I there were pictures of him as a child dressed in dresses that his mother would dress him. As a girl, and I, I don't want to say I, far be it from the Lovecraft estate to come and sue me, but <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, I hope I'm not mixing up my crazy guys. But I think I think I'm it I think at one point guys. he his mom did that. So 
I think it's beyond just the, you know, the watchful eye of the mom. I think that was a weird household to be in. Yeah. Well, his his grandfather. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there it is. All there right. you are. So so here are yeah. I found a few pictures of Lovecraft as a baby in 1892. Yeah, these are all from 1892, and yeah, definitely an address there. But I, you know, here's but the I thing. I guess then maybe. Yeah, yeah, it might be like that whole christening dress sort of thing. They everything. You know what I mean? All yeah. babies wear christening dresses, so yeah. I don't know. But this one is fairly suspicious right here, with the yeah, bonnet and everything. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty girly, right there. That's that's Buffalo Bill territory. Yeah, I mean, he's carrying like a little bucket. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's kind of the style. The hair. Like, the Adorable. The girl hair. Yeah, definitely yeah. some girl hair in, in a few of these. Wow. Well, that's that is girly. His, his mom, my daughter. His mom, his two aunts, and his grandfather were basically his only family. Uh, and his grandfather was kind of a yeah, industrialist businessman, and his name was Whipple, which I love. That's a great name. Uh, Mr. Whipple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he was one of the influences in HP's uh, young life with stories. Like he would sit down and, you know, read him, you know, random stories from books. And he would also just make stuff up on the cuff, you know, right. off the cuff. And it kind of just fed into his little, you know, brain and, and helped create the world around him. He could escape from, you know, losing his dad, uh, his mom being kind of overbearing. Mm-hmm. Shortly after his, his dad died, uh, his grandfather, they were basically living off of his income, the, okay. the whole family. Um, his business kind of went belly up. So they had to move out of their big lavish estate and go into something a little smaller. In 1904, his grandfather died. So now he's out of father. Out a grandfather who was probably the, the the financial backer of the family. Yeah, the financial backer, and also a very creative, very just you know. I, I picture him as like, you know, the the goofy old grandfather. You mm-hmm. know, all right, Sonny, let's go sit and tell you a story. <laughs> but also one of the only one of the only male other male uh, influences yeah. in, in his life. Yeah, he was reciting poetry by the age of two. Really? Yeah. He was reading. My son definitely didn't do that. He was reading by the age of three. (laughs) Yeah, I know. When he does, it's terrible. Ask Dana. She's never going to listen to the episode. I did it in a Scottish accent for for Haggis, and I thought I did great. (laughs) Was it Southern Australian? Yeah. Yeah, Ode to a Haggis I did, and I thought it was wonderful. No, it wasn't. (laughs) So, yeah, reading by the age of three and writing probably by the age of six or seven. It's when he first started writing his own poetry and, you know, really, really short stories. Uh, one of his earliest loved books was Arabian Nights. Right. One of the things his grandfather kind of like, read this. This is amazing. So he kind of, how would you put that? He absorbed a lot of that book and ended up giving himself a pseudonym when he started writing his little short stories and poems. And that's where the name Abdul Al-Azared comes the from. Mad Monk. Yeah, 
It's, it, he was six or seven when he oh. first came up with that name. They wouldn't let him on an airplane with that. Not now, no. <laughs> but it's still like just, I mean, the. So he created that character. Yeah, when that he was idea. like six or seven years when old. When he was, yeah. He would, he would write little poems and stuff and sign it with, you know, Abdul's name, not his. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's almost like he really existed. A pseudonym. Pseudonym. <laughs> <laughs> and that later became the author of the infamous, famous, you know, most made up book ever, The Necronomicon. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So it just ties it back to his, his youth, which I just That's think is neat, awesome. Yeah. A little bit later after that, uh, Greek mythology came into his life. And probably um, he was homeschooled most of the time. Okay, he did go to high school. Um, yeah, I was actually reading that, uh, you know, it was around the same time that when his grandfather died and they lost the, the, the ma- mansion mm-hmm. as well, is that when he, uh, he dropped out of school, Dropped out of high school, right? Because of actually, he dropped out because of thoughts of depression and, yeah. and possible thoughts of suicide. He mm-hmm. just couldn't stand going anymore, right? And I mean, if I was a guy like that, you need stimulation in school. You know, mm-hmm. you need to be pushed. You need some, something challenging. I, you know, if you're not challenged, what are you going to do? You're just going to be bored, you know, and just think about all the crap in your life. So, yeah, that's, he kind of was like, I'm done. I'm going to go do something better. Or it was the complete opposite, that he wanted to be bothered with nothing. Because I, <laughs> well. I, I love that one of the suggestions in, in a bio of his is that he, his nervous breakdown down happened because uh, he had a difficult time in, in math class, basically. Yeah. And I would love to be able to just use that card. Like, oh, my God. Well, would... in his early, early schoolings, uh, he fell in love with the sciences. Right. You know, astronomy. Right. Chemistry. You know, biology. Like, those, like, he really clung on to those. But he was kind of a shitty student, <laughs> you know, because his brain was always kind of thinking about books or family woes. You know, he wasn't, he, he was a, a daydreamer, basically. Yeah. You know? He was, so, the, he was the creative type. Exactly. I mean, he was an artist. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, that, I, you know, with the whole mythos and everything, yeah, mm-hmm. he probably built that on the back of... You know, like you were talking about Greek mythology, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and we, we were kind of talking about this earlier today, and I was thinking about, you know, is it possible that, um, you know, he might, his whole mythology, which I'm sure we'll get into later, maybe in part doesn't have something to do with uh, Dante's Inferno as well? It probably you does. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, he took a lot of cues from Poe. Some of his early, early works are like mirror images of some of Poe's early yeah. works. You know, so he did, uh, he was a, a sponge, you know, and sometimes before he, I, I think before he learned his way of writing and who he was, yeah, he's going to almost emulate or copy writers and things that are already in existence, but he just made them his, you know? Mm-hmm. So and it's the same thing, but with the skin over it that looks like his. Well, that's, that's, that's actually, that is normal for any, I mean, I was just going to say, I, I think probably any writer has prob- yeah. probably started out doing yeah, that. Writers, yeah, writers, musicians, yeah, artists. Exactly. Like that's you play the music you... you oh, love. yeah. Sideshow yeah. performers. Yeah. I mean, there are... You well, there's know. only a handful of tricks you guys do. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm First off, I don't do tricks. You do card tricks? I <laughs> perform feats of human endurance and curiosities. <laughs> and second off, the point is, is that, you know, 
you build off of what everyone been, can do those yes. right like yes. not everyone but i'm saying you learn how to do the physical ability mm-hmm. to swallow swords and that kind of thing mm-hmm. but your personality that's totally you what you put out there and it's the same thing in writing and and anything else that you do right. the the personality is 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 where it's at and and you're absolutely right you know you kind of find someone else's personality you know what I mean? You kind of mesh with that because that's wh- that's what got you into writing or performing in the first place, mm-hmm. and then you start branching off from that. But yeah. uh, you know, you can use it as a as a, a platform. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, a, to a jump off, off of. Point. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and well, I think the unique part is is not necessarily the emulation that they were able to. Any artists are able to accomplish early on when they when they copy other people and learn their craft and start developing their own voice, whether it's writing or their own stage shows or, or, yeah. or musical abilities. But I think the interesting part is is that it, it is just a select group of people that are drawn to that in the first place. Mm-hmm. Not everybody does that. And, you know, you could probably sit anybody down and, and teach them to play Stairway to Heaven after 10 years, somebody's going to get it. <laughs> right, but not right. everybody will seek that out on their own and try to, Propensity to do that. to yeah. want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. See, and that's the difference. I would love to sit down and play music, you know, and pick up a guitar. Mm -hmm. But every single time I do, I just have, like, nothing. I have, like, no skill for it, you know, which is why I don't do that. Right. You know, and I I would love to write, too, because there's plenty of ideas that I have in my head. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? transposing. Yeah, I've I've spoken to both of you about that. I, Mm -hmm. I have ideas. I'm like, yeah, I can, you know what I mean? I could make a web of, you know what I mean, what's happening, you know what I mean, but actually sitting down and doing it, that's the that's the thing, you know. <laughs> I got to actually put time into it. I don't know. Can I just, you know, I need that. Someone just dictate for me. <laughs> what is that um what is that thing where you just talk and it writes everything out? Isn't Dagon? <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's Dagon. Isn't that what it is? You mean Stephen Hawking? I <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's called Dragon or something yes, like that, where yes. you talk and okay. it just like writes it for you. Yeah, it's yeah. A speaking spell. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Get out of my off eyes. You're one of those guys that come to my book signings. They're like, they don't buy a book, but they're just like, I got a great idea for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then they spend the next twenty minutes of my time telling me about you know, this werewolf zombie story idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's never been done before. Werewolf and zombies in the same story. When they bite each other, they turn into <laughs> werewolf zombies. Wombies. <laughs> I got a great idea. Vampirates. <laughs> uh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is because I, I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm just kidding, but I came across that book Vampirates, <laughs> literally in the dollar store. Did you? Like you know how they have a book section where uh, they have. Yeah, I came across it and I was like, that looks awful. Nice. That looks absolutely awful. Yeah, <laughs> like cute hook. I really liked the hook, mm-hmm. but I don't want to read it. And I was mm-hmm. in the middle of drinking beer just now when you said that. I thought you said vampirates. <laughs> oh, and that I'm would like, be even better. They don't drink blood. They just eat cr- cr- crackers or you know, they yeah. shit all over newspaper. <laughs> uh, they only do it at night. <laughs> That's all. <only> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, by 1899, he was actually writing uh, journals, uh, scientific journals, and submitting them to very small magazines, and also basically what you would call uh, like freelance journalism back in the day. Mm-hmm. It was basically some guy, it was like a zine, almost. You know, okay. Somebody who started an at-home magazine and then would have friends, family, and other writers contribute and then put it out. Uh, And there were, you know, several small 
to medium-sized publications that he would submit to. And you're talking 1899. He was, you know, people like uh, the Scientific Gazette, the Rhode Island Journal of Astronomy, and then some of the first printed public works came in 1906, so just a few short, you know, years later. 1809. What was that? 1809? 1899. 18, 1899. Yeah. You say the Journal of Astronomy. What they do? Every article was like, hey, look, it's the moon. <laughs> yep, still, still the moon. It's still there. There it is. Damn it. It's gibbous, a half a moon. A giant gibbous moon. <laughs> <laughs> I see in 1914, Lovecraft published 13 issues of his own paper, The Conservative. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah, that's all I had. That's all you got? Yeah. Talk, Russ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, and the thing, it. it it started off with his love of the sciences. So a lot of those early journals were scientific papers. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't know, what, what do you call those? Um, observations and stuff, you know, scientific observations and maybe a few tests here and there. And that's what do he would write about. Tests? Yeah, you know, like... Oh, like scientific like, tests. Yeah, scientific tests, you know. So what you're saying is that at, at the beginning of science fiction, mm-hmm. science fiction and... Scientific Science. journals were in well some of the same books. N- yes and no. It's like Playboy. There's articles <laughs> about how to shave your balls, you know, <laughs> and there might be a picture of balls. You see what I'm saying? So there's I, a book or a magazine with science fiction in it, but there might be some actual science involved. Okay, I gotcha. And back in the you know back in you know 1900s. You kind of people wanted to read everything. Yeah, and but that was that was after he, you know, he had like his hermit life from uh, 1908 to 1913, where he basically yeah he was a or arguably until his death. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, yeah. No, that's when it started. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and he would peek his head out like a turtle every few years into the world and go, nope. <laughs> you, you know, know more people yeah. visit his grave to see him dead than they have in his <laughs> lifetime. That's... Well, people tried. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Like he had friends and family that tried to get a hold of him, tried to get him out, tried to get him to do stuff. But yeah, it's a, the father dying, the you know, obsessive mother, the grandfather's death, kind of taking him away from what he was told as a young child that we're, uh, you know, aristocrats, we're a well-to-do right. family in New England, and then moving into a little tiny-ass, you know, house, and you got no money. You but know what I mean? So it's kind of a kick to the face to a small kid who already has some issues, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just throwing it on top and throwing it on top. I, I love the fact too that he maintains that the the, the pretense of that lifestyle even oh, yeah. once they go broke. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I don't know if he ever actually had a job, but he's no. he's he's you know they're living in poverty, and he's you know pro, I could picture him walking around this tiny little house in a bathrobe all day, you know, sipping his coffee with one pinky out and thinking who he is, you know. Yeah. Just, well, I mean, he he held on to the belief that he was a gentleman and a scholar, you know, and an author. You know, and and by by gosh, by golly, he was going to make his living by that. Well, right? yeah, that's he. You know, I think that's what he was drawn to. That's what he wanted to do with his life. You know, and he, I don't know if it was built in through family stuff, but he had this kind of really inflated sense of pride in himself that he didn't want to demean himself by getting any old Joe's job. Yeah, and you know it's I mean? it's almost like he thought that possibly other people 
weren't as good as him. Oh, yes. I mean, especially maybe other people that were... Different color. <laughs> or, or, <laughs> Different or immigrants or, or things like that. You know? Yeah, he had a problem with that. But you're also talking his his aristocracy kind of yes, kind of thing. You know, you, you, the the family upbringing was you know uh, white is right kind of thing. You know what I mean? Not not sort of as far as Hitler, but there was a sort of old world. You know, oh, upper crust and was white as toast. You know, <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, yeah. You know, and that's kind of again it, all these things were force fed to him. At a very, very young age. So I don't know if it's all him, because later in his life, he kind of loosens up. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of his writing takes a huge turn and isn't so derogatory for this or for that. And he starts to move around a bit. So it does mellow out. And Well, let's talk about that a little bit, too, since we're kind of at, like, the turning point right now of, of his life where he's kind of starting to open up and become, you know... Uh, Starting to write more, you mm-hmm. know. I, I, I mean, what was it around, you know, 1915, 1916, 1917, where he starts writing like uh, The Tomb and Dagon and things like that? And that Dagon right? was his first published work. Yeah. Like his own work, mm-hmm. not, not journal stuff, not, right. not, you know, little things. His own body of, you know, finished piece. That was the first one, was Dagon. Yeah. So. Uh, my point was is that uh, when he first started writing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like in 1905, you know, when he was writing, what was it, uh, like the alchemist or the Beast in the Cave and the Alchemist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and I found this out through some of the other, you know, it kind of opened my eyes when we were when I was watching the documentary, mm-hmm. but they were talking about some of his first works where. You, it's the quintessential Lovecraftian thing where you think about it, right? You, you know, because mm-hmm. you always hear that now, right? Lovecraftian, yeah. and that describes the type of story that that he really sort of, you know, first penned. But the 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 lurking horror, the thing that you know is out there, but he's not going to describe it. He's not going to explain it, and if he does, just maybe a little bit. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's just a wisp of smoke. It's just right. wh- whatever it happens to be. You're you're getting the most basic description because behind that is something so horrible that right. you do not want to actually see it. Right. You know and, what I mean? And we still do that today. Well, Americans don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> serious. They don't. Yeah. Asian cinema? Oh, my goodness. That's, right. They still keep to that, that philosophy is that you don't show the unnameable, unknowable creature. Yeah. You know, you show glimpses. You show tension you show fear because the person doesn't know what's behind the door here in america it's open the door look oh, oh, oh. Well, jump 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 I, jump i punch, would say punch, that punch, even in popcorn uh okay i would say even in and uh, well uh god rest his soul you know uh, um um west craven mm-hmm. right yeah um you know even with like stuff like Let's talk about a quintessential 80s horror movie that has nothing to do with Lovecraft for a second, right? You have Freddy Krueger, right? Okay. I would say he's still not in the movie a ton, right? The first one, no. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like he still pops up. It's still a little, you know, gives you a little bit of that. You know, he's running his fingers down the boiler he's room. He's mostly in shadow when you see yeah. him, too. You don't yeah. get a good view of So him. I'm saying... And there's, there's a lot less cheese and camp in that first one, which yeah. is why it's so good. Yeah. Once it goes to a big slice of cheesy pizza, it's just not 
It's yeah. not the well, okay. literally, I think isn't he like a cheese pizza in one and, of the yeah, point? And, 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 yeah, and Ford. Yeah, that's a whole other show. You guys <laughs> yeah. sucks him into the pizza or something. I don't. I don't. Uh, doesn't he suck Johnny Depp into a pizza? I don't <laughs> know. I, I'm getting my. I'm getting things confused. Can you cut that so he just says suck Johnny Depp and just end it? <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, is that. Um, in his later works, he starts describing things a little bit more. Yes. And that's when we start, you know, even when they were talking about the, he in Dagon, where he's talking about the, you know, the different carvings and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that the guy is coming across when he, when he finds this land, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's, he's looking at these carvings, he's looking at the, 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 and he's describing the people. Oh, sure, they have some, you know, some webbing in between their hands, and they have kind of bulbous eyes. So he's actually describing them more, mm-hmm. the, the later on that he gets. So he's, yeah. uh, he's feeling more comfortable with kind of coming out of the boogie monster closet, <laughs> if you will, something like that. Right. Like, I'm not good with analogies. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing is, he, a, a lot of people who don't like his work, you know, uh, basically say that that's all he does. He just piles on the adjectives to describe yeah. something, you know, where it can be a little arduous to get through a sentence and all he's saying, you know, we're talk- the gibbous moon. Yeah. I'm like, it's just a, it's just means a full moon. Yeah. You know, but he goes on for five or six words to say full moon. Yeah. But that sounds like if I wrote. <laughs> that's what I would yeah. do because that's how I tell jokes. I just keep on piling stuff on top of it. Yeah, but you can't just say yeah. really, 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 really <laughs> big moon. That would be boring. Well, I think a lot of his... Because <laughs> that's... Look at his face. He's like, And Chris Damn. is writing this down. He's like, that's a great line. Hold on. Let me, let me <laughs> jot this down real quick. How many really? really? That? That's how many really? <laughs> really has two L's. I yeah. <laughs> and I think there was a comma that's between fair. those. Um... You know, I, I think a lot of uh, of Lovecraft's detractors, and and I would I I would say this that I agree with this to an extent is that uh, the fault they find in his writing is that he really can't write a scene. He doesn't write. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're not getting a, a set piece. From no, no, him, you're not. No. Which, when you think, I mean, the the, the prose may be um, verbose and 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 poetic and just just mm-hmm. just sound fantastic but you can read a whole story and go I don't understand were they in a room the whole time just yeah exactly to, you know yeah, it's, sure it's always happens. a guy telling a story about someone else who's reading a letter who's telling a story about <laughs> someone else and, yeah. and 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 the, the yeah. actual set pieces or plot that you get are so minute right you know you you almost miss them yeah you well it, 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 you're, you're right and that's that's sort of that could be a you know for me it's a plus or a minus, you know, yeah, that, that yeah. could be a good thing or a bad thing. I, I, I like fiction that's ambiguous and subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't say his stuff is subtle at all, but I think no, no. It, it, he was not a scene dresser. He was no. not, I mean, if, if you picked up one story of his at random and I said, as a filmmaker, which you guys are, mm-hmm. shoot this, mm-hmm. you know, you'd really have, you'd probably have to hire someone else to rewrite it to <laughs> tell you what you're actually <laughs> shooting. I mean, yeah. and have you ever seen a good movie based on a, a Lovecraft book? I haven't. Gee, not, I, I can't. Not off the top of my head. I know quite a few low budget directed. DVD. Again, like I said, good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> now, there I are some uh, good movies that are that are that lift yes. ideas yeah. and scenes because he was an stories. idea man. Ah, but I'm saying they lift certain things from him. You know, but there is no there's no movie about Dagon 
you know, the story. There's no... Well, no, there, actually, there is. But I, I, I've been uh, meaning to watch good. it, but I haven't. I, it's, not, it's not good. I haven't seen it yet. I'm just saying, it's got I doubt the fat Val Kilmer in it, if that gives you any idea. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe it does. Yeah, no. Val, less... if you're listening. <laughs> we still love you, but... We'll send you the script. <laughs> Jeez, buddy. In 1919, in November, uh, the vagrant publication ran the first issue or the first run of Dagon. Right. V- the, it's called Vagrant? What is it, punk rock magazine? Vagrant? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, it sounds it like, I mean... It was a publishing company. Yeah, and in 1979, did they cover the Sex Pistols? I think so. <laughs> 1975, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 79 was when they broke up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so based on the short story that he did in uh, 1917, he read or wrote a full, you know, book, and that was published in 1919. Uh, soon after... Uh, his mother was admitted to Butler Hospital as well. Oh, this is when she had the nervous breakdown, right? Yeah, that was when she she, was she got in math crazy. class too. Or? Well, no, <laughs> I think that she. I mean, it's probably because he started coming into his own, started mm. writing things, and probably yes. stopped hanging out with her as much because she had a weird love hate relationship with him. Yes, but very lovey. But don't touch me! I hate you. <laughs> can we right. also Come can love we me. also opine that maybe the Lovecraft family was cursed? <laughs> there might, yeah, there might be. I mean, they're... one of the other theories is that she also had syphilis. Yeah, because the husband had syphilis. Well, that and would syphilis make sense. Is a long gestation period. Yeah, you know, somewhere between five to fifteen years, it will take that long to get up to your brain. Yeah, to start making you fifteen years. I'm, trying, I'm doing the math. I'm trying to see how long I've been married. All right, I think I'm good. I think I'm in the clear. So we're like, okay, let's figure out stuff to do for Halloween, right? Lovecraft totally fucking works, right? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's got that. He is like the grandfather of of weird modern science day fiction horror. and horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So you, you know, so you have that. I mean, you know, of course Poe and everything else too, but you know, the the whole creeping, lurking horror thing is just really where it's at. Well, Poe Poe was Gothic style. You know, where it was yeah. old English, you yeah. know, large pillars. And castles and stone walls. Gloom and doom and bosoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, Lovecraft took that, took the, the Gothic style and went completely in this opposite, weird, crazy direction where it's space and it's uh, science fiction and it's, you know, the old gods and the under gods and the Shoggoths and the Yagoths and the Cthulhu. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, he took that gothic horror base and made it into something completely different, which I think is where we get a lot of our, you know, 
quote unquote sci-fi horror movies like mm-hmm. Alien. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it is almost if you look at the bits and pieces of that movie, you know, it, it takes so much from Lovecraft. Well, even yeah. the artist who created it, his name was was H.G. <laughs> Geiger. What, H- oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he and he's really the heart of, Geiger, of the Alien yeah. franchise. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Geiger, I mean, whatever his name visually, was. yes. You know, story-wise as well. Yeah. It, it just, it's right off the pages of a Lovecraft novel. Same with The Thing. Mm-hmm. You know, The Thing is, mm-hmm. is almost all based on uh, In the Mountains of Madness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's I yeah I kind of like that too, right? But that's I mean so, that's what I'm saying. Like they don't say it comes from Lovecraft, but you you look at the stories. You, the fact that you're in the Arctic and at an outpost. Yeah, I'm always recording. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we like as soon as we sit down, it's okay. like boop. <laughs> well, what I anyway the point I was trying to explain though that the reason why we we picked Lovecraft was because he's very quintessential, but. Um, uh, my point is, is that um, even though I specifically don't have like, he didn't move me so much, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But he has such a long legacy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I really like, like, he really piques my interest as as a person and, and everything. Mm-hmm. But my point is, is as I'm doing research, I sometimes can find little nuggets of things where I'm like, ooh, 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 ooh. Mm-hmm. I really want to talk about this. And with this one, I didn't really get that. I could not yeah. find like one little nugget to hold on to or a few little really cool, you know what I mean? Like, like, eh, he was kind of a curmudgeon mm-hmm. hermit bastard, yeah. you know, that, you know what I mean? And his dad went crazy. His mom went crazy. He had a wife. He pretty much ignored the shit out of her. Mm-hmm. She moved to, to go do a job in Connecticut. You know what I mean? They, you know, lived in New York and, for a little while. Yeah, yeah, well, they they lived together for a little while. They loved each other. You for know a little what I mean? while, and it just didn't work. <laughs> and you know what I mean? He, you know, and well, I mean, we were kind of talking a little bit before, but you were talking about, um, you know, his sexuality. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, I'm going to throw this out there with the caveat that this is strictly my opinion based on. Books I've read, movies I've seen, not necessarily having to do with Lovecraft, but just uh, culture in general and how they and how they they perceive uh, certain people to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as Lovecraft is concerned, he he died fairly young, so you know, and there's not a lot about his life that is is very public. But given all, given the history of his family, given given you know his father uh, dies in the sanitarium, his mother winds up there too. Uh, he, he was, you know, we found the pictures of him dressed as a girl when he, when he was younger. Um, his his standoffishness. Um, he was he was a hermit. Um, when when his mother died, I think it's when his mother dies that he he runs off and, and marries a woman mm-hmm. who was older than him. Which is, I mean, hey, he's looking for mom number two. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. really work out. And but I, she was I, completely opposite of him, though. Yeah, and it was, she was and outgoing and, and like very bizarre. And yeah. it, and and to me, it's almost like this guy is had he had a a, a bit more zeal to him, yeah. he would have been a prolific serial killer. Yeah, see, but, I, I mean that. Yeah. I, I feel him, <laughs> and I don't say that like like lightly. I, I think that he was borderline sociopathic, not not psychotic or not like a not like a psycho, but yeah. right, but just right. borderline sociopathic. Well, with the the xenophobic tendencies, you know, depression, xenophobia, a right. uh, bit of a germaphobe, 
uh, like we've talked about before with the, you know, slightly racist, mm-hmm. um, he, he's, he put himself in a box, basically. He saw everything outside of his box, you know, as being, you know, dangerous or evil or, you know, stupid or, you know, his neighbors. He hated his neighbors just because they were different than he, yeah. he was, you know, because he still held on to that, you know, I'm, I'm uh, aristocratic, you know, long lineage, you know, New England family. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a gentleman and a scholar, you know, that kind of thing. So... I don't know. It's 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 hard to say because he had the propensity to be this, you know, super brilliant person. But on the other end, he wanted nothing to do with humanity at all, you know. Well, and, and that's an, it's an interesting point. I so was I also going to know about the, the you know sociopathic. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, like, ready to take that leap. I'm, I'm just you know, I think he was more of he would be happy living on an island unto himself, you know, well, and uh, writing. I think that's what he wanted to do. Well, maybe, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know if it all ties with the, the sexuality thing, but, you know, maybe also he just didn't really have, I mean, there are people that, I mean, wh- what's the guy from the Smiths or whatever, right? That just don't really have sexual feelings very often, you know? Is it what is it anthropomorphic? Well, you know, you're, you're anthropomorphic. <laughs> no, that's what I'm, you see faces. Androgynous. <laughs> what, yeah, what is the thing? You can use both his hands to write. <laughs> right, ambidextrous. A- asexual, really. I yeah, mean, you're just, asexual. But that's the word I was looking for. Well, I think he's more like Tesla. Yeah. Call back to the our band? Tesla episode. <laughs> yes, yeah, the band. I know. The horrible, yeah, horrible Tesla. Band. I mean, but he he, he uh, saw it as distraction. Yeah. And I think that's how until Love later Apple in was. life when he fell in love with a pigeon. But um, uh, and same with. Lovecraft. He fell in love with, you know, an older lady, and he was like, ah, I don't get any work done with this broad around. Yeah. He was happier when she was in Connecticut. I would like to see you documentation I mean? that, that that relationship was consummated. <laughs> that's well, all that's <laughs> apparently, I mean. Do they have, do they, they have No, there's actual, no, no. Yeah, okay. Uh, there's actual uh, journals and stuff that he would write to his friends who wrote for Weird Tales and stuff. Right. This community of freelance, you know, uh, journalist, not journalist, they weren't reporting news, they were writing little short stories and submitting them. Uh, people like, you know, Robert E. Howard, yeah. who, you know, wrote all the Conan, Conan stuff. Yeah. Uh, people like that, they were in his little group of basically pen pals. And he would write to them, you know, his problems, his issues, and they right. would do the same with him. Along with, you know, storylines or, you know, how to make this character better or this, that, you know, da, da, So there is documentation that, you know. Things were going on. Things were okay. I mean, he said something like uh, the first time he was kissed was on one of his first dates with. Um, Sonia Haftgreen. Sonia Haftgreen. Yes, her. Yeah. She was, what was the other half? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, she was a, a Russian Jew, seven no, so, years. Sonia Green is people. <laughs> she was a, a, a... All right, furniture. <laughs> she was seven years Lovecraft Sr., but the two seemed, at least initially, to find themselves very congenial. Mm. So um, they lived in a Brooklyn apartment in 1922. And uh, so here's the, the worst part. Um, his two aunts that were still living... He didn't even invite them to their marriage. 
He just right. sent them a letter after it was over to be like, yeah, yeah. oh, we're married now. Oh, I did this. Yeah. Like that's how, just, that's so. That's what I'm saying. He was an island unto himself. I think he you just I mean? had like, yeah, I think he had like no. He had no people skills. He was a I social think he had pariah. No, yeah. 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 Well, that's he, what I think he, Ron was he, saying about him being a sociopath. I think he had just like no emotions, and you know? Yeah, yeah. Or I they mean, were that, deadened. <laughs> yeah. But and even it's part of it. To address, like you know, to address the 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 alleged racism or xenophobia. It wasn't alleged. He wrote it down. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but I think. I, think okay. I mean, it's fair enough. It's it's fair fairly enough. documented in yeah. his works as well. In journals and in his work. Huge yeah. fan of the Cosby Show, though, which is weird. If you don't normally find that. See what you gotta do. But <laughs> put the HP love crap in put a pop. <laughs> nice sweater, but uh, <laughs> but I, I think it I think it kind of goes beyond that. I think he just hated people to include himself in his race. He and did. if you see his his latter fiction, specifically the the, the Cthulhu cycle mm-hmm. and that entire <laughs> the Cthulhu, <laughs> uh, the entire the entire uh, mythos there, the, the the whole conceit of those stories is man is nothing but ants. Yeah. And these giant gods are, you know, they could crush you by, you know, with the flap of a wing that sent yeah. you into space. Yeah, most of his writings were, the, the whole, uh, you know, crux of the writing was basically the infinite galaxy and mm-hmm. universe is massive, huge. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's out there. And we, as human beings, think we are the center of the universe. Right. Whereas... Lovecraft thought the complete opposite. He was like, we are not, we are tiny little specks inside this giant, giant fishbowl. Mm-hmm. And it's almost meaningless. Not meaningless yeah. well, per se, but what, we're, what we do in our day-to-day life, we're not doing anything that would mean anything to a creature, you know, 100 million light years away. It's just our little teeny tiny world. But even one step beyond that is that he... he Judging him by his writing, he didn't even think we ranked. Like it wasn't oh, yeah, like yeah. there are a million different people <laughs> not affecting it. You you take that compared to, and I know I'm jumping century or or or, or not centuries, decades here saying this, but somebody like uh, Carl Sagan and his his ideas of space and exploration mm-hmm. and, and life out there, and what could be compare that to his book Contact, which there's a movie, mm-hmm. um, terrible movie. <laughs> I used to love that. Movie. <laughs> I hate that movie. Uh, I was a Jodie Foster fan. <laughs> she had issues That's such too. Such a weird. <laughs> That's a weird the, the book. The book is fantastic, and, and Sagan. Sagan was a genius, but um, you know, you you could look at the same the same uh, within the same arena that Lovecraft was writing about, and come out with a positive spin to that too. If you're you that could. kind of person, you could go out there and say, "Look, there are millions of thing, you know, life forms out there," and mm-hmm. and you could give the whole Kumbaya harmony, you know, Harry Nilsson kind of you know <laughs> s- song and dance to it. Right. He did not see it that way. No. He he w- you know he wrote people were were nothing. They were nothing to him. Right. One, yeah. one of the great things about his stories is, especially back in his day horror and even the, the, the science fiction at the time was you would have you know the, the creeping crud, the evil death creature, th- something horrible is happening. By the end of the story, you know, your hero, your heroine, your whatever, has gone through the trials and tribulations and has conquered and has survived. You know, and it's a happy fucking ending. Well, Lovecraft, on the other hand, yeah. is like the same kind of beginning 
trials and tribulations, more trials and tribulations. No ending. <laughs> no, 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 there's no, an no, ending. I, I, there's I, I, an I, ending, but the ending is this sort of melancholy, you kind of have to fill in the blanks. The monster is about to step on mm-hmm. someone or come through the door or crawl out of the lake or something. Boom. Done. And dot, it. dot, yeah. dot. You know what I mean? And yeah, that's it's, it's, or, it's so much more impactful. Or it ends as the, the person saw what happened. And is recounting. Yeah, yeah, and is recounting. and As and he saying, slowly goes as, insane. As he either slowly <laughs> goes insane or he's about to kill himself or right. whatever. And, and it just kind of ends like, you know, like... Like, I'm no better off from when I sought this knowledge. Well, he right? was an I mean, atheist. Yeah. He, yeah. You know, raised Protestant, became atheist. He's like, that's all bullshit, mm-hmm. you know. And he saw things very darkly, you know. I mean, that's just his outlook. Yeah. You know, he wasn't, I don't want to say total pessimist, but he was on that spectrum, you know, and that came through vividly in his writing. It, the interesting part about that is from from a from a horror standpoint, if you're talking horror fiction, horror movies, whatever it is, mm-hmm. he really tapped into the hallmark of what makes something frightening. Yeah. And you, you Chris, you mentioned this earlier with with the the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, um, but uh, you know, it's the there is no way. You know, the scariest thing about his fiction is not seeing the monster, having the monster described it, it's the aftermath or the before math or mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. someone relaying I something else. Math. <laughs> Sorry. I hated Let's that. skip class. I hated during math, I hated aftermath. <laughs> math. Well aftermath he that's when he had the problems, right? <laughs> Isn't that Yeah, because of math. <laughs> what what was the do you and maybe you guys might know this one, but I, I can't remember. But there was one where the guy was seeking out and he, he go he goes to like a mountain hillside and uh, he, he winds up sleeping there overnight, and then um, it might, you know what, it might not even have been a Lovecraft work. It might have been one of the derivatives. But, you know, like, he has visions of what had happened on the mountain before, you know what I mean, of people being, you know, sacrificed and right. things like that. And then he wakes up in the morning, and, you know, after everyone telling him, don't go to sleep on the mountain because people go crazy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then uh, the guy, the the... the you know the, the the hero of the story uh, wakes up on the mountain and and you know remembers all of this and and you know like his hair has turned white and he's you know comes on back down the mountain mm-hmm. and he's like I can't believe that but I mean that's that to me is such that is like the whole thing right so you go through it you know and it, it, it's the same thing you know with uh, what was it Dagon and, and the white ship you oh, know yeah, what yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. You, you you go through it all and then at the end of it. You know, you're done. I now have that information. I don't know exactly what it means, mm-hmm, but right. now I just have to go on and live my life with that experience. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. that to me is like that kind of that kind of thing. It's like you know, person seeks out knowledge. Mm-hmm. Once the knowledge comes, they find out. You know, okay, this is more knowledge than I can possibly understand, and I only get a piece of it. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that's sort of the thing is that it's kind of like. To me, most of the themes in his in his work, it can boil be boiled down to one sentence, and that is, you can't understand infinity. Right. It's, that that's what it seems like to me. Like you're not going to understand it, so don't bother. You know what I mean? Don't search out the knowledge. You've had fifteen harbingers. You know what I mean? Telling right. you before yeah. you get there, 
You know what I mean? Not to seek out the knowledge because it's going to make you crazy. And then you mm -hmm. seek it out and you go crazy and you only have, you know what I mean? One, one millionth of the knowledge. Right. Yeah. I thought I, I would say he wrote a, a great series of prologues. <laughs> that, <laughs> <laughs> but I, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean, you know, it's uh, there was no need to to finish what he started when he was writing these stories, and and right. and I think that it's sort of you know whether it was on purpose or not, I don't know, but it's sort of ingenious in the way that that perpetrates the mythos because. Writers who have picked up this mantle and have, have written additional work uh, to, to his cycles and his, his catalog, uh, they're they're still searching for answers to things that he left unanswered, you know. And right. and I think that was that's sort of the beauty of uh, and the and the mystery of of everything he did. And that that part I could get on board with. I, I think that's fantastic. I, I love a good mythos, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, that yeah. I mean, are we pretty much? I mean, we haven't gotten to the end of his life. No, no, but, no. I mean, uh, Sonia Green. He married her. Right. Right. Didn't really work out. She moved out to Connecticut. Uh, mm. They never really wound up getting back together. And she, I think she moved what out to California. Mm. They got to a divorce. She moved right. out to California, had some babies, and had like a nice life. Yeah. After she that, lived basically. to like the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's crazy. <laughs> she lived a pretty long life. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was still writing. Uh, he did a, See, here's the thing. He didn't have a lot of money. You know, after his grandfather died, after his mom died, she left him everything, which was not a lot, you know, and because he really just didn't want to get a real job, you know, he pursued the writing. So he was writing for the pulp novels, you know, the weird tales and stuff like that, almost exclusively. Uh, that's where he would get majority of his money and you're talking like five ten bucks per short story yeah you know that is that is nothing that's he really ended up increased. having to move he had to move to a <laughs> yeah but he had to move to some little apartment it was like forty dollars a month and he had a hard time making that rent with his other bills you know he would eat beans like most of the week like just he would buy a thing you know a can of beans and that was like dinner. like a rorschach yeah, he was just <laughs> seriously. Like, but, he, was, but I mean, he I, he did eventually start doing a lot of ghost writing. Well, right? and that was the other thing. Uh, a lot of his, you know, uh, writing friends were like, "Well, if you need extra money, yeah. you can all you know, basically editing. Yeah, you know, you're you're as a ghost writer, you're not really writing the story. You're basically taking an idea, writing, flushing it out, doing all the editing. So he was making extra money doing that on the side. But he really wasn't making a ton of money, and that seemed to be uh, the, the, the path that he was on. He was constantly trying, you know, but the other problem was he was literally his own worst critic. Yeah. Like half of his stuff that, you know, in a lot of his libraries and stuff that people have now, uh, a lot of it is work that he never even released. Yeah. You know, and because it's public domain, you know, people see it now. But back in the day, it went into a drawer. You know, he was like, it's not good enough. This is not good enough. It, I, no one will see it ever. Yeah. Or yeah. I'll come back to it in a year, work on it again. So many things that he submitted to be published in the, the pulp magazines got turned down. Mm -hmm. Most of them got turned down. And the great thing was he would take them, hold on to them for a few months, maybe a year, and then talk to the editor, 
you know, of the magazine and be like, I made those changes. Uh, it's all good now, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that was like a trick that all writers did back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't they do would just, That is also anything. correct. <laughs> <laughs> he would do nothing, you know. And, and then I, they would be like, okay, cool. We're, we're going to buy it. You know, here's your 10 bucks. I heard, I heard stories where he would submit a story to one publication. They would reject it. Mm-hmm. And then it was dead to him. Like, he would not resubmit it anywhere yeah. else. To, so he had these weird, almost bipolar episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, on the, I'm, on the, I'm on the H.P. Lovecraft is crazy train, so I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you're talking <laughs> minute, you know. It's, it's that thin line between brilliant and insane. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think he was right there on the line where you don't really know which side of that line you're going to get every day. But he was literally his own worst critic. He would, you know, go through something and rewrite it a bajillion different times or just toss it completely. And, you know, the works that that were published, he didn't make a bunch of money on. Right. You know, I think the most he ever made uh, was Dexter Ward and Mountains of Madness were, the I think, the ones he made the most money on, something like 150 bucks, and then one of them he made almost 500 for. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know what I mean? So you spend your entire life trying to write novels, short stories, and just get the stuff out of your brain onto paper. Well, you know? I mean, I think part of it, too, was the fact that this was, the, you know, this whole science fiction thing was just burgeoning. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really the be- very beginning of science fiction. It was before it, it really, well, you know what I mean, started coalescing into something. Look you know? at his contemporaries. Mm-hmm. You had... You know, fantasy, mm-hmm. your Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. You had, you know, werewolves, vampires, Frankenstein kind of stuff. You had, n- you know, and then you had science fiction where it was like outer space and, you know, a lot of the fanciful, like, alien type things. You had nothing that took all of those things and made it this weird, gelatinous, tentacle shaped <laughs> thing. Shagoth. Yeah, Shagoth. Yeah. You know, that made it, you know, an H.P. Lovecraft work. Yeah. Except for him. Like, he was the one to take all those little bits and pieces and form them into this amorphous, you know, shadow that shall not be named, you know. And and he is the, I guess, the quintessential, you know, father of what we consider, you know, modern horror. Yeah. You know, because of the way that things are paced, the way things are described. Not saying that everybody does that now, but the ripple well, well, effect. The, 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 the subgenre of bizarro fiction mm-hmm. that's taken off in the past few years is, is you know, I feel, as a direct result of, yeah, of this fiction. The ripples, yeah, you know? Exactly. I mean, they're felt almost even more than Poe, you know, yeah, at least I think so. in my brain. Like, you see more derivative Lovecraft work, you know, in everything than you do Poe. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's it became so encompassing that I think stuff becomes derivative even without whether the author realizes they're writing derivatively of him right. or uh, you know you take uh, you know something like Stephen King's The Mist. Mm. You know, at the end now let, let, we can focus on the movie for the visual aspects of it. But mm-hmm. at the end, I mean, you, you see something giant moving through the mist, and yeah. you your mind immediately goes to Lovecraft, it's, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, I even I a few of my books that I've written, I've had people write me and say, well, you know, was this influence from Lovecraft or this? And mm-hmm. honestly, I 
I didn't, hadn't read enough Lovecraft to even say yes I, or no. I can't say it's yeah. not. But I, right. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, but is, is it influenced by someone who was influenced by Lovecraft? That's probably more on point. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Know? I mean, but, look yeah. at even like uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, <laughs> you've got uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, the, the, the squid the, face guy. Yeah. Oh, what? Uh, Please, um, David Jones. Yeah. Right? David, like J- David Jones. You are neither dead nor dying. Yeah. <laughs> I can't walk around. <laughs> you can't walk around tentacles on your face. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, but just, he's, I said he's, tentacles on your face. <laughs> <laughs> you can walk around with the other things. We are in Baltimore, the, the <laughs> right. purveyor of the of the tea bags. So I mean, <laughs> it's very important that you get all the extra tea pops out. But there. he is this sort of undead. Thing from the deep, yeah. you know, and he just happens to have a big old puss face, you yeah. know, <laughs> octopus face, not a puss face. He's not, he's not pusshead face from the Guar video, but you know what I mean? Like the artist who was like, we got to do a Davy Jones character. What do we do with him? Let's make him all tentacly and you know yeah. Lovecraftian. You know, you know it, that word was used in the yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. It has to be. Well, you know, I mean, it's like when you talk about Kubrick. When people watch movies. And there are a certain style, you know, so it's not so Kubrickian, you know, it's the same thing. It's so ingrained. Well, since we're since we're kind of getting on the uh, on the, uh, the the gravy train of, of homages, mm-hmm. I mean, we you know, we can't not talk about Evil Dead. Very you know true. what I mean? You know, the, the, uh, the aforementioned Necronomicon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, not just that, but also the uh, uh, what is it? The 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 tree monster. The tentacle <laughs> tree monster, well, yeah, the yeah. rapey tentacle tree monster. Well, no, no, no. It, that was no. The, the tree. It wasn't a tree monster. It was that there's something in the woods. Well, an evil spirit. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, it, it was controlling the tree. But again, it's you don't see it. Yeah. You don't know what that is. You see it controlling, uh, you know, Ash's friends. Yeah. You know, but it's it's a demon. It's a creature. It's it's uh, you know, amorphous shapeless mm-hmm. thing evil yeah it is yeah. pure evil you know and lovecraft that came from the nepper the nebuchadnezzar the nebuchadnezzar the, the, the necronomicon i mean it all came and stemmed from the necronomicon <laughs> wrong nebuchadnezzar what did anyone own like any of the necronomicon books yeah i had that were printed uh, yeah 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 for like, evil in dead paperback in for evil dead yes i've had that one Mm-hmm. Where um, it that I love that story. All of the writing in the book is actual letters, mm-hmm. but they're just spaced out and moved around just so you can't actually read it when you're looking at the page. But if you pull it far really? enough away from you, you're like, oh my god, I see it now. You know, but it's <laughs> it's is the it kind of like that tilting eye. trick. Which is sort of it's sort of like the Da Vinci Code. It's backwards, fellas. It's yeah, backwards. Pretty much. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just they're just. Overlapped or spaced cool. just far enough where it it's letters, but there's like you know the top of the M is taken off and it looks like yeah. three lines, you know. And then you're like, wait a minute, and the next if you thing, squint. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. The funny thing with the Necronomicon, uh, it was totally made up. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a complete. You know what, Joe? Idea or was it? Ah, no, <laughs> it was made up <laughs> based I, on a love. I, I understand, but was it? Yes, it was made up. But was it? <laughs> Are you gonna keep doing this? I'm just saying. I mean, you know, well, break maybe. down the word necro, death, nomicon, boners. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's a, it's I'm pretty big, sure that's the big, Latin. That is, right? the, that is the Latin for it. Yes. Uh, okay. So throughout history, there are a few strange, crazy books. Some actually 
bound in human flesh. And you're talking mm-hmm. Romans. Uh, oh, or, you man. Know. By the way, that is totally an episode that I want to do at <laughs> some point. Bound in human flesh. Just called Bound in Human Flesh. Okay. Where we talk about all of the wallets and yeah. things yeah. that have been bound Lampshades. in human flesh. Yeah. yeah, all of that. Yeah, yeah. So look for that in 2016, <laughs> ladies yes, and gentlemen. Nice. Curiosos. So I think, I think there are... And, and there's books about spells and, and witchcraft. Right. Has been for as long as people have been writing about those kinds of things. What was the one? Uh, the like, what is it? It's like the Wizard Hammer or something like that, where it was like uh, the Witch Hammer or something. The big giant one. What, it, it's, yeah, yeah, it was written it was by a like gigantic a, a, book that was. Yeah, it was written by a, a pope or a clergyman or something. Yeah, who yeah, probably it was had all about different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Seriously. it was all he about was, basically was, killing wizards and witches and yeah, stuff exactly. like that. Yeah. Um, so those kinds of books have existed. Now, Lovecraft, being a scholar, being a science person, probably took those ideas and made his own version of it and called it the Necronomicon. See what I'm yeah. saying? I'm saying there's not, there is not a book of the dead that will... Um, help you call on the old ones. Except for the Tibetan Book of the Dead. <laughs> well, there is that one. Which is actually a Book of the Dead. Yes, now. yes. But I'm saying the Necronomicon That's was true. specifically uh, supposed to, you know, I- invoke, you know, uh, the old ones or the young ones or... <laughs> the, the, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? The, the Yagos and the Shagos and... Uh, and Rick. And Rick and Bill. Um <laughs> And that's what it was for, you know. But there were also tomes in it about death and monsters and things and stuff. And, and But it was complete fantasy that he created. Now, here's the funny thing is that just the book, just the Necronomicon, uh, more than 24, 25 other authors in his lifetime and after have used that name within their works. Yeah. Just because now it's a thing. You know, it's like, you know... Oh, you stole I, my talking point. I was going to ask how, <laughs> how often that has actually been used. A lot. Yeah, I know. A lot. And, and the thing is, it, it's like we were talking earlier, uh, you know, Lovecraft was like, take my, take my, my mythos and run with it. Do something yeah. else with it. Add to it. Which is so crazy for him to be such a, like a... Like a, it it just doesn't it doesn't mesh. No, no, no. Right? It does. It does because I For, think he, he's a crazy hermit curmudgeon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yet, with his work, he's so loose with it. Because he, those people understood him. They were his basically his, his friends. contemporaries. They were yeah. his friends. They were his peers. They were well, people think, that were trying to do the same thing. You know, and I think he felt comfortable with those kinds of people. He felt maybe felt respect for them. Yeah, and yeah. they're the ones who pushed and gave him, you know, uh, you know, their approval and their, you know, thumbs up, like, go, yeah, go publish that, get that, get it out there, come on, man, what are you doing sitting on this stuff, go do, and I think he always kind of needed that, or wanted that from his parents, which he kind of didn't, you know, didn't get, yeah, yeah. so people well, who are doing the same thing, well, I think something not to be overlooked, and given the time period, is that copyright really didn't mean a whole lot back then. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, if you look at it, you, you jump a few uh, decades ahead when you know the '50s rock craze kicked off and all mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, people were were playing other people's music and and writing oh, God, yeah. responses to other songs, and there was no copyright issue uh-uh. until later. Like people realized, hey, this is my intellectual property. Yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. do that. So I don't know how much of that on his part was um, active, 
or mm. as opposed to reactive to what they were all doing and they're all writing for these magazines and right. it just became the thing to do as opposed to yeah. you know them actually consciously you know he wasn't getting uh, well, wasn't th- licensing his no, material no, no. I yeah. think it was more of here's a small community mm-hmm. you know of people that he was involved with and I, I think it was it was like a pseudo family you know it's like your family goes for a cookout you kind of your whole family goes you know yeah. what I mean uh, it, I think it was the same kind of thing. It's like, you know, because he was he was also ghostwriting for half of them. Yeah. You know, doing the editing work and stuff. So he kind of was in their world to an extent that they weren't in his. So it was kind of a, a sharing thing, I believe. Well, since we were talking a little bit about copyrights again, so I found out a little bit about his his basically the status of his copyrights. Any book published prior to 1923 is in the public domain. So that's it, hands down, totally in the public domain. Now, some of uh, his earlier works do fall in that time period, but like his most famous stuff, uh, Call of Cthulhu, Dream in the Witch House, At the Mountains of Madness, they were all written after 1923. But because when the law changed before 1976, all works had to be registered with the Copyright Office to avoid falling into the public domain. And lots of his works, the ones published like, you know, amateur presses and stuff like that, mm-hmm. were almost completely not registered. Right. So any like amateur presses, like you were talking about, the zine sort of kind mm-hmm. of things. Yeah, the freelance journalism yeah. kind of things. Yeah, yeah, they were totally not registered. Mm-hmm. So uh, anything published... Um, between 1923 and 1963, okay, they, uh, he, th- it's thought that he was probably had registered them, okay. but basically uh, there's nothing that they can find in the public domain saying that he did. Right. So basically, if you know anything after 1923 was registered, which mm-hmm. it probably was. Uh, you know, like I was talking about the the big books, Call of Cthulhu. You know. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. They can't find it. They yeah. can't find it in the public domain because it was in 1977 that they started taking and putting everything on computers mm-hmm. instead of just having it, you know, out in the ether. All well, no, I mean in like card catalogs. Yeah, it, yeah you know yeah, what yeah. I mean at the copyright office. But mm-hmm. so they started, you know, renewing all that database in 1977. But they, I guess, they couldn't find it. They never hmm. came across it. So that's why so much of his stuff is in the public domain. Right, right. So it, it just seems like a clerical error that, that kind of caused that to happen. Probably. So, but I mean, you know, considering, you know, he died kind of early and he didn't leave really any uh, anybody else to nope. claim it, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, yeah, you know, who's the money going to go to anyway? This, this is basically how I really became interested in researching Lovecraft as a person and his biography as opposed to his fiction. But uh, a few years ago, um, I was at a, a horror convention. I was doing a book signing, and I was there for three days. And at these conventions, they've got a lot of uh, vendor tables, people selling anything from toys, clothes, anything horror-related, right. movies. And I plushies. happen to walk... Plushies. a lot of plushies. <laughs> Cthulhu yeah. plushies, yeah. Yes, I'm not... Yeah, yeah. I had one. Yeah. I don't know what happened to it, but yeah. <laughs> it vanished. <laughs> So uh, so I go by this table, and this guy's got a bunch of... Uh, I was looking at the, uh, the old books, you know, and I mean, old paperbacks and whatever, and 
uh, he, re- he knew I was signing books over there, so we were talking, and he goes, well, I got something to show you. You're a horror author. You'll like this. So he takes me over to a glass case, and there's a, a manuscript, an H.P. Lovecraft manuscript. I don't remember the story that mm-hmm. it was. And it's in this glass case. I'm looking at it. It's really cool. And there's all these handwritten notes in the margin. And I go, is that his is that his handwriting? Was he taking notes and everything? And and the guy goes, No, that's Harry Houdini's yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah. So I now I never knew mm-hmm. about the connection there. Mm-hmm. But um, and he get to, so the guy tells me this whole story about for years. Um, just like there are horror conventions, there are magician conventions. Yeah. And for years, this manuscript was packed away with Houdini's, uh, you know. Stage show stage stuff. Show, yeah, it's yeah. just stuff. And then when people would put it on display, and it just went through that circuit before somebody came and said, hey, this is a Lovecraft manuscript. I'd like to buy it and, and move it over here. Mm-hmm. And that started me on this whole thing of, of looking into uh, – even in my head, I'm like, I didn't even realize they were around the same time period. <laughs> Houdini yeah, and Lovecraft. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, of all the people t- – I, I picture Houdini as being very gregarious and, and mm-hmm. yeah, sugar, come here, sucker, you know. <laughs> and, and him, you know, I, that was a very unlikely friendship, but they were, they were very good friends. And uh, they together made a point to go around and – you know, with Houdini's, you know, his magic stage show, people thought he was like a wizard. Yeah. And, yeah. and with, with what uh, Lovecraft was writing, uh, you know, and, and people assumed he believed in the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went, they made it a point to debunk uh, the afterlife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, uh, Harry Houdini did it a lot. Yeah. That was one of the things. Uh, even though he loved, uh, you know, stage magic, you know, like the whole, idea of someone pretending that real magic right. was actually existed right was contacting your dead relatives mm-hmm. for a few bucks yeah he just he was like that's not right yeah you know and basically that's what well, set him off on there's the a lot of magicians nowadays that totally agree yeah. with him yeah. yeah so I found that fascinating and I and I and and the I guess early in his life Lovecraft was friends with the author uh, with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle mm-hmm. Tarzan fame yeah. and Doyle had a completely different view and, and was all about hyping up the supernatural and mm-hmm. and they had a big fall. This was like a big deal for them, you know. Mm-hmm. They had a big falling out and uh, and and that just really struck a chord with me. And 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 when I started thinking about that, you know, I I write my, my books are are modern, just kind of you know whatever idea I want to write about, I write about it. I don't do a lot of historical stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I don't do any historical stuff. Uh, but this just stuck with me, and I wound up contacting. If uh, you know, we we've all got notes out here and stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, St. Joshi, who is the foremost Lovecraftian uh, guru out there, has written like all his bio. Oh yeah, and he's yeah. I, I've already seen his name listed in here. But I wound up contacting him and say, hey, I've got this great idea mm. about writing a f- uh, historical fiction novel about this. You know, maybe about their whole debunking theorem, mm. but having that be a cover for what they knew was really good. Like, I had this whole horror <laughs> nice. conspiracy thing going on. And he was so, this guy, Joshy, was so knowledgeable. And, and you know, and, and I, you know, we talked about his uh, sociopathic tendencies and his <laughs> right. homoerotic potentialities. And, uh. you know, and it was funny how, I mean, he was, this and this guy just knew everything there is to know. But I just found that part of his life to be so uh, removed from everything else you you know we've discussed tonight and that we've read. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it blew me away. I had and apparently there's a movie that addresses their relationship, him and him and uh, Houdini. And somebody hmm. mentioned it to me before. I can't 
recall the title of it, but it exists, I guess, out there. Oh, I'm going to have um, to search that yeah, out. Too. But yeah. I found that part of his life fascinating because it seems so against code for him. And yeah. just even have a friend. And uh, I mean, can <laughs> you imagine friends. the. I, I'd love to see the, the on screen personality between here. You know? <laughs> but uh, no, I thought that, that was pretty cool. But I just I wanted to throw that in there. Nice, nice. I found a letter from Lovecraft to Houdini talking about Edgar Allan Poe's desk. <laughs> They're just writing back and forth, discussing. I'm sure glad you said desk. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a picture of the desk. Oh, that's so weird. Sorry, I just think that's really They're funny. They're handwritten notes. See, that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, like handwritten notes of... Uh, they didn't have email, guys. Well, all right. Fair oh, enough. No, okay, that's I'll not... they get it into the computer then, smart <laughs> <laughs> So I'm trying to find the movie. I'll see if I can find it. It's fairly popular. It's like Johnny Depp is in it or something. I don't know. Nice. It's something ridiculous. Well, okay. Is it the one, uh, the one that just came out with... Um, who's the guy who was in... Uh, who, who's the guy... Who is in the newest um, Predator movie? Predator? No, no, no. The guy, the guy that was in it. Adrian Brody. Yeah. Adrian Brody. Well, he, no, no, no. That's that's the that's the Houdini. He may be movie. in that. That's a Houdini. There's yeah. another. There's a fictionalized movie where they're actually where the Houdini movie with him is fictionalized. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Apparently, this movie is. Lovecraft and Houdini team up, and they're like detectives. I, I mean, oh my god! Got, I gotta watch I need to watch this. Oh, I gotta watch that now. <laughs> That's the thing about Lovecraft is that he has touched so many other pieces of the Lovecraftian puzzle. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. That that like there's so much to discuss and talk about. You know, and it's it's. I feel bad for the guy. You know, yeah. he he the way he grew up. Yeah, his mom, like. Well, he had tell- a modicum of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of fame. Yes, but it wasn't Only anything until near after he died. But yeah. he walked around. You know, with things like you know, when he was young, his mom basically told the neighbors because uh, he used to go up in the attic. His uh, grandfather had a bunch of books up there. That's where he first fell in love with books. Um, his mom used to say he doesn't come out of the house because he he's so horrific looking. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you know. Forgot so about that. He, this guy yeah. walked around with with that. Yeah, you know what I mean. His mom. Yeah, kind of like a Doctor Doom sort of thing going on. Yeah, <laughs> like, seriously. Like, you know what I mean? You know? Oh, I, he's so horrible. But he wasn't. I mean, no. most people think that he had Bright's disease, mm-hmm. which is that sort of elongation of the face. Yeah. He, he may have, may not have. I mean, he didn't really see a doctor until, like, the very end. Yeah. You know, where his, his health really, really started to, to uh, deteriorate. Well, well, we'll get into that. I mean, why, why not? So, basically... Um, he eventually wound up with uh, in, a type of intestinal cancer, mm-hmm. and he li- lived with that with sev- for several years. Right, trying, you know, I mean, you know, basically a lot of pain. I mean, in his bowels, you know, yeah. Which, like, if you've ever, you know, eaten Taco Bell three times in a row, I mean, <laughs> that is consta- excruciating. Patient, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So. I mean, he, he dealt with that for several years until finally it just, you know, that was it. He he checked into a hospital finally. Yeah, he would forgo. I mean, also, he didn't have the money for a doctor, you yeah. know. So he would put it off, put it off, put it off, you know, pay rent instead of going to the doctor. You know, you kind of have to balance out the priorities. Yeah. So, yeah, like, you know, by 1936, that's when he finally got diagnosed with uh, the intestinal cancer and had spread pretty far. Uh, within his body. Yeah. 
and there, there really wasn't anything they could do because it was so advanced. Yeah, and once once he checked into the hospital, when he was really, really in a lot of pain, five days later, and that was it. He was done. Yeah. March 15th, 1937. So he was buried in uh, Providence in Rhode Island, where he was originally from. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can actually see his grave there. Uh, what, what is what is his um, one of the famous lines? I he am is, Providence. I am Providence. Yeah. yeah, he loved that place. Yeah. So you can you can find his grave there, and uh, you know lots of people visit it. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's at uh, Swan Point Cemetery. It's plot uh, group two eighty one, lot number five. So if you really want to go, mm. you know I'll have it on there. Uh, Providence, uh, Rhode Island. Nice. So, the tiniest state. <laughs> One of the quick things that I want to talk about um, with the ripple effect of Lovecraft and his writings and his life, uh, something that I absolutely adore is Batman. Uh, One of the key characters is a place in the Batman world Arkham Asylum. Arkham Asylum. That's right. And that that is directly, you know, lifted as an homage to Lovecraft. You're right. You know, and that was that was a a place in uh, several of his books. You know, just like Miskatonic, Miskatonic mm-hmm. University. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing too is that you know now you have so many. You, like haunted houses and things like that, where mm-hmm. the asylum is a type of setting. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? So, you know, the asylum, and you have the cre- creepy clowns and things like that, but the asylum is definitely one of those settings. Well, Lovecraft was the first person who wrote about that. Yeah, because both of his parents went to one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but, I mean, and he, he was, was afraid he was going to go to well, one. Well, it's, it's the ultimate homage. I mean, it's it's where they house the mad. I mean, this is, yeah. and that's really what the the crux of all his stuff is. Every you, you don't survive a, a Lovecraft story without going crazy. You know. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's from a deep seated fear. You know, from from his family's trials and tribulations. That's a good point. Yeah, that's good. I think most of his his stories have parallels with. Things that he did in his in his life, you know, and the places he went to, the the people he met, they're all, you know, you write what you know. So, if you wanted to write a Lovecraftian story, um, I specifically found six cliches. Oh, I don't you don't you love these? Like the yeah, little yeah yeah. Nice. Everybody loves freaking lists. You just yeah. can't help it. It's like you know. Like it's it's Buzz quick information. Or whatever. It you is know, in it list is. form. In list form, <laughs> everybody loves listicles. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So the first one is you need to have giant, really, really old books of the occult. Of course, right? You need to have those so, anyway. Right? Yeah. Well, you do, but I'm so. saying, you know, we're talking like the witch hammer. You some, need something like the Necronomicon. Mm-hmm. Hell, just use the Necronomicon. I yeah. mean, why not? I mean, there have been several printings of, of you know. A real Necronomicon. There's over like 15 different versions. Are you saying, what do you mean? Because (laughs) it's now in, well, has been in pop culture for how many years? hundred and some years. Mm -hmm. People have made their own versions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And have printed real versions based on a make-believe Why do you keep on saying real like that? Because it's not real. (laughs) But is it? (laughs) 
All I know is you just gave me a brilliant idea about a book about two detectives, Miriam and Webster, who go around and collect <laughs> occult words to put in their giant book of words. That's fantastic. <laughs> Copyright. <laughs> Copyright. <laughs> TM. <laughs> That's right. I'm making the same mistake that idiot did. <laughs> so you also need to have nutty cult members. Like right? almonds? Yeah. Okay. No, what are you talking about? No, like crazy cult members oh, that, yeah, of course, that yeah. worship, you know, an unseen god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cult you know? of Dagon. Yeah. 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 So I would even <laughs> venture to say that those nutty cult members might be harbingers. Harbingers? I mean, harbingers. <laughs> like no, like no. What was the Harvey Ballbanger? We've all been. No, there was. Folks. What was the? There was some horror movie that I saw that that guy kept on calling him. Instead of harbingers, he kept on calling him harbingers. <laughs> I can't remember what it is though. I gotta talk Harvey to my Weinstein? wife, Dana. No, he kept on calling him harbingers, and I'm like, harbinger. Does he? Does he mean harbinger? Okay. Right, like a harbinger of doom, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he yeah. kept on calling them harbingers, like, and I'm like, I think it was he was like English or something. Oh, and he so was, it's like Debris. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. Right. Well, okay, detritus and no, Debris. Damn it, you, you can't get into that yet because I'm still going through the. Okay, I'm still it. going through the six. Go but we'll mention that as soon as we're done. Advertisement. So, uh, you have to have either ancient stones, mm. statues, obelisks, <laughs> pendants covered with frightening cryptic yet. Uh, or macably curious etchings. Or Boy, that one was long. That, basalt, that actually does say macably. Yeah. Basalt pillars. Basalt Ooh, pillars. That's yeah. It, yes. Yeah. So creepy carvings, right? Yes. Kind of like in uh, runes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Runes. Uh-huh. Pictographs. Um, uh, another thing to have would be crazy, indescribable monsters that make you go insane, even if you just look at them. Mm, okay. Indescribable is always the perfect for, for when you're writing fiction. That's you really so, need indescribable a, things in your fiction. Yeah, but that's yeah. what he. That's I, what Lovecraft yeah, yeah, yeah. always. It was indescribable. And you pile on adjectives. What next was that? Time, next time we do Mad Libs. Yeah. If I get an adjective. I'm oh God! You do seven. they have a Lovecraftian ad libs? We should do that. We need that to find Let's talk out. to Joel and Lars, and I'll tell them to contact uh, Mad Libs. And have them do a Lovecraft. have craft. them do a Lovecraft. <laughs> oh, man, that, that would be awesome. Yes. I mean, it's all in the public domain. Actually, that's not a bad idea at all. I'll call my publisher tomorrow. Do it. <laughs> do it. You guys want in? Yes, yes. Let's do this. I know we kind of, and not to interrupt your list. I will but edit I, that Mad Libs. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to know the correlation between, you know, like how, Santa Claus has basically always existed. Everybody talks about Santa Claus, but yeah. it wasn't until like the, like the fifties, I guess, when Coca Cola. Mm-hmm. I think it was like the nineteen forties. Yeah. Or, okay. Advertisements. Yes. I, I think that's right. The advertisements. Um, similarly, with his lack of description with Cthulhu in, in particular, mm-hmm. we recognize him by the artist who yeah. who really created. I'd love to know the history of that guy. There, that? Hold on. There is a doodle. Okay, so he uh, Lovecraft actually sent when he was working on um, Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, he sent a doodle along with basic description really? to an artist that was supposed to do a, you know a rendering for uh, Weird Tales to go but, along with his story. Yeah. So, but the, weirdly, when he actually did it, it came out and looked like Fabio. Exactly. It's all like I can't believe it's not butter. Um, <laughs> no, it, but actually, it was after Fabio got hit in the face with, with the, a with goose or whatever. Or whatever on the <laughs> no, even one shot. No, even one so the the description that Lovecraft gives is uh, an octopus for a face, 
sort of amorphous humanoid body and thin, uh, you know, angular wings. Uh-huh. And that's all you really get. Kind of bat-wingy. Yeah, yeah bat-wingy. Bat goat, you're an asshole. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the doodle, it's it's so rudimentary, but it's, you know, profile. And it, it, right. It, I mean, that's everybody who's based a, uh, a version of the, the, the Cthulhu, Cthulhu monster um, is, is all based on that little doodle, you know, and the description. So he, he, yeah. he's very adept when he wants to be, you know, because later in that story, he does kind of throw out, you know, scaly and slimy. Yeah, he and does this describe, and, he does, yeah. But it's, you know, parsed out within the entire story. You know what I mean? You don't get, like I said, you don't blow your load in the beginning of the story and show the monster. Mm-hmm. You dole it out when you want to. Just a little bit at the time. Just, yeah. just a little bit of a little bit of chum. Chum in the water is just a little bit. That's right. Yeah. Uh, all right, so two more cliches. All right, you have good. to have cosmic and or dimensional thin spots. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. the whole idea of piercing the veil, right? Mm-hmm. And then the last one would be... I, I mean, I'd had that done once. It <laughs> never healed. <laughs> Thank God for modern medicine. <laughs> oh, I <have> Wild, geometrically impossible architecture is the last one. Mm, so I'm yeah. thinking, you know what I mean? Uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's another, well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking The Shining with that one. You know what I mean? So that's a, uh, that's that was, a pretty cool point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Kubrick took a lot of that sort of uh, geometric angle, you know, because everything that he shot was dead center. You know, not everything, all the pivotal scenes had this, you know, here's your character, and it's basically the center of the screen, you know what I mean? And you could draw your your uh, your lines and everything, and you could basically make a geometric shape that here's your center point, it goes in. Mm-hmm. Kubrick loved that, yeah, because it played with your eyes, you know, because of the shapes and stuff that they didn't really fit, but the screen itself, when you were watching it, made it fit. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, it's well he, he also did. He, he not to go off topic, but like in The Shining, with the like the scene where Jack is doing his job interview in that office, where he mm-hmm. walks through the lobby and goes to the office, and there's a a window behind the desk showing a courtyard. That courtyard cannot exist if you look at the way the hotel is set. Yeah, that that, yeah. that office is in the center of the lobby of this hotel, and it's it's stuff like that that yeah. is you know yeah. that. that you, it gives you that eerie feeling. You don't know why. You're uncomfortable. This doesn't yeah. exist. But that's the whole point. Like with, uh, you know, like um, just uh, staircases that don't go anywhere. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. But also... Um, Broken escalators. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they mentioned in this article, too, how, you know, they're, you know, the color that can't exist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That color from space. Uh, you know, the color out of space, the color out of space. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, you, you got it correct. All right, Joe. Yeah. All high and mighty. Well, that's a Um, a story that he wrote. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm saying the point was, is that, you know, it, what was it? A meteorite that came from outer space. Yeah. It landed here and no one could describe the color. It was just something that no one had ever seen before. Jordy Barrow, you lunkhead. (laughs) Where do you think he got that from? Yeah. And Lovecraft played that role. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking to somebody else. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was D'Onofrio, right? Actually. <laughs> no. That was D'Onofrio. Yeah, it was the... Wasn't it? No. Steve. In that, that was Stephen, Stephen King. Stephen King. Oh. He played okay. his own character that he ripped off of Lovecraft. Oh, okay. No, what, what, I, I'm sorry. I was thinking about... Um, I was thinking about another asteroid in um, that uh, that happened in uh, Men in Black. Oh, I don't... There for a minute. I don't know. 
There was the asteroid fell fell from space, and it was. Uh, I saw like two you seconds. You like D'Onofrio? I saw two seconds of that movie. D'Onofrio wore the skin suit. He was the big giant bug monster. I dude, I saw two Another seconds thing, of it. Bug monsters. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like bug monsters from outer space. Mm-hmm. Tell me that's not love. The Yig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What the what? Oh, man. The 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 Cthulhu um, mythos. Yeah. Full of creatures. Which which one full. are you talking? The Yig. Yeah, I believe the Yig is the the, man, I'd the see, bug there's creatures. Just, there's too many of them. You there's know? a lot. I actually watched a YouTube video explaining. explaining. It. <laughs> Did you watch that with a <laughs> guy with a lisp? Yeah. Yeah. Now I have to put that on. The audio the, was terrible. The audio was god awful, but it. But was, the animation's kind of funny. It's it was. Cute. It it's was. cutesy for Flash. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it explains. Not in depth, but at least the the large points of the chronology. Yeah, like of this the monster begat that monster begat that monster. Exactly, and, and, exactly. and that sort of thing. And yeah. then, and then eventually, the Shagoths. Shagoth. They served the people like, mm-hmm. uh, like slaves, and then they had an uprising. You yeah, know what I mean? There's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds a lot like mole men sort of thing, but they're well, shapeless beings. And then you take someone like, uh, like Lucas. Mm-hmm. Who took that sort of, you know, framework and built his own mythos? Yeah, you know, all these different space creatures and all these different planets and da da da. You know, and, yeah. and then the droids, you know, uprose. Right? This, Isn't that the third rebellion? I think so. That's happening in the new movies. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's Disney, so I'm probably not going to watch it. Uh, Make the nerds angry. I don't care. <laughs> It's Disney, so I'm, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> they're going to find a way to throw in a goddamn Disney princess and some fuzzy goddamn little creature. There is a Disney princess. It's Princess Leia. <sighs> Slave Leia. My childhood just shriveled and died. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It's going to be terrible. But here, oh, wow. Hey, guys. <laughs> you know, then I'm going to be like. <laughs> I don't but like I'm saying that. is that, again, with the ripples. You know, Lovecraft, his influence has, it's permeated, you know, our culture in America and, you know, countless others. You know, Neil Gaiman, uh, the writer, you know, yeah. he, you know, it's one of his uh, main influences that he talks about all the time is, is Lovecraft. Well, you know, like, Ron, I think when you were kind of talking about it and saying how, you know, people write you and... I, I you you can't say it's not specifically Lovecraft, but it might be someone else that you know what I mean that that was inspired and someone else that was inspired and eventually it it came to you. But it's not you know not a direct influence. But you know it he wasn't he really didn't die that long ago. No, you know what I mean. Yeah. You know I mean it was only several generations ago. But I mean he, you know he had a very lasting influence on our 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 media. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's still felt today. You know, I mean, Lovecraftian has become a term to use, you know what I mean? You know, in a certain type of creeping, lurking horror story, you know? And, and I mean, you know, I think everyone feels that, you know, when you're walking alone in the woods and there's something behind you, creeping mm-hmm. behind you, that feels like it's bigger than you. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's probably Lovecraft. It probably has tentacles and maybe some wings. And He was the, the originator you know, of that. Before, yeah. like I said, before Lovecraft, you didn't have these kinds of creatures. Yeah. You had, you're, you're only going to see a little bit of its face maybe Yeah. before it, 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 it bites your throat out or makes you completely nuts. Yeah, and then takes you to a different dimension and all those things and da-da-da-da. Um, 
But the reason we have it is because of, you know, his contemporaries, his friends, you mm-hmm. know, other fellow writers who were like, after he died, they, you know, pretty much felt that he never got the the accolades and the, the attention that he really did deserve. So they kept it around. And that was, uh, that was what, Arkham House, right? Yes, who first was like, we're taking his work and we're mm-hmm. getting it We're going to take it. And that was like almost immediately after he died. Yeah, it was I mean, about it was very I, short. I think a year and a half, two years after he died. Yeah. Arkham they, House they took formed. and they published his work. And, and, mm-hmm. and they're like, look, this is important. This yeah. guy was, you know, prolific, genius writer. People need to see this. Otherwise, he would have faded into nothingness. And I think some people have been a little bit upset at Arkham House uh, for the fact that they think that they were making money off of his works. But also, yes, maybe they were making money, but yes, they were also getting it out there. So yeah, and you I think know that I mean? was the it's, point. It's, it's it's dual purpose. Yeah, you know? Lovecraft even when he was alive, he <laughs> he had a hard time. He sent a a work to I think it was Astounding Stories or Astonishing Astounding Astonishing Tales, Tales. Um, and they took it, but they never paid him for it. But he was the I would gentle- have been up at that office. I, I, but he was a gentleman and a scholar, and he was not that kind of person that was going to get in someone's face and be like, motherfucker, <laughs> you better pay a bitch. You know Bigger what I mean? than I am. I'll, but I'll send it, over a tentacle monster. But do you see what I'm saying? Like he, It wasn't really about the money for him. Yeah. I think it was about the getting the story out, You know, especially with his peers. It was like, this is my new work. Check it out. I, you know, it was, it was a, a sharing thing. And then the, the public at large... You know, he wanted his his world to be seen and, and read. So I don't I don't think it was about the money. You know, that's probably the the only way he knew to even relate to anybody. And you there's not too. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is this is a part of me. This is the only way I can show you me. Right. You know, you have to read all the <laughs> you know the yeah. in between all the lines, but he's there. I think it's fascinating after all this time that people still. Write about it, and there's still yeah. there's still original works being published. And like I said, I know I know plenty of guys who've done that. It, uh, there's a few books recently. I, I don't know this author personally, but there, uh, this guy Peter Kleins does a bunch of books. Uh, he did a book called Fourteen, and he did one recently called The Fold. And they are they are straight out of the Lovecraft canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett Talley wrote a, a great book called That Which Should Not Be. Nice. And I mean, there is Cthulhu on the cover of the book. And it's, <laughs> and it's, it's a fantastic book. And it's, you know, but you look at this and you go, hey, here's, here's a guy who died in poverty, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was getting his stuff published in rags, you know, and, yeah. and, and people are still, you know, playing, yeah. paying tribute and keeping the mythos alive. I think that's awesome. That yeah. part is, is fantastic. Through, through uh, you know, works of, of fiction, through music, you know, the... We listen to a podcast, uh, and one of the guys on there has a band, you know, and it's, I don't know now, but originally it was, you know, a, a Lovecraftian, you know, inspired right. band. What is it? Uh, uh, well, it, that's... Um, Darkest... What, Car- Dark- Caustic Soda is the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Darkest of the Hillside Thickets. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the name of the band. Cool. Everything from, you know, there's beers out there, you know, that, that exist that are, you know, Blood of Cthulhu, you know, uh, Lovecraftian beers. Uh, there's, like you said, plushies and movies and this and that. And so it, he is, he's not going anywhere. 
which I think is the the point that I wanted to make is that. And wholly ironic, considering yeah. he thought humanity was going to be wiped out. Exactly. <laughs> so there's your. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> awesome. So, um, so let, let's kind of just get to that real quick because we were talking about uh, Cthulhu, mm-hmm. right? And that's how we keep on saying it. But you know, many people uh, call him Cthulhu, mm-hmm. Cthulhu. Uh, but uh, in a letter that he wrote, it's to actually Smith. It's <laughs> <Slavic>. <laughs> it's, yeah, right. it's, it's a, <laughs> but in a, a letter that he wrote to one of the other authors that he uh, did correspondence with, apparently it's supposed to be a two-syllable uh, word, mm-hmm. not, you know, Cthulhu, like three-syllable, or Cthulhu. It's supposed to be two syllables. Like, and yeah, you're just kind of getting it out of your face, like yeah. Cthulhu. Well, and the reason is because the creatures that, you know, uh, the old ones descend from their vocal cords uh, are different than they're humans. not human, right? They're they're so alien. I the, mean, that's all of his creatures are pretty much alien creatures yeah. from outer space. Yeah, yeah. So know? the physiology is different. The sounds they make are different. You know, and the you know the creature's name is not meant for human mouths and human ears. It's not meant for human eyes either. It'll exactly. make you go crazy. So, crazy pants. How how do you write that? You know, like the band we used to have. The yeah. <laughs> how do you write that? I, I mean, what a syllable. We, that's yeah, yeah. That was the whole thing is that we couldn't figure out exactly how to write it, so it didn't fit well on a patch. Need an A. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would recommend listening to the audiobooks of of Lovecraft stuff because it's fantastic to hear how people, a good audio reader performer mm-hmm. will, will do the, la- and uh, he actually uses a lot of the ex- the language in his text too. It's not oh, yeah, just yeah. names, but yeah. yeah. Oh, the But it's great to hear a, gr- a really good performer do it. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's LibriVox, LibriVox does uh, several of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of my favorites is Phil Chenever. He's a, a, a reader. Um, volunteer, and he's done a lot of uh, Robert E. Howard, mm-hmm. the Conan books. I love the way he reads those books. Yeah. And he does a really, really good job with the uh, the Lovecraft books as well. And that, that's the thing. other thing, too, with the LibriVox stuff, mm-hmm. is that they, they pretty much mostly do, you know, Public domain. Of, yeah, public domain stuff. Yeah. Uh, out of copyright stuff. But you can volunteer to do it. If you, if you want to be, like, a voiceover mm-hmm. actor yeah, and you want practice... I've been wanting to do that for a year. I just don't have time. Yeah, yeah. You could volunteer, record it yourself if you have decent audio equipment and mm-hmm. give it to Levervox, right. and they'll yeah. put it up on their site. So, I mean, if it's just something that you want to do for practice. I mean, I think we might have mentioned that before, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a, it, it's really cool. I kind of like that sort of thing. Yeah. That's neat. So, um, but, uh, so the other thing that I kind of wanted to mention with, uh, with uh, Lovecraft, the uh, way that he wrote you know, we were kind of talking about Poe, and he had a very, you know, kind of, uh, I mean, not old English. I mean, he was uh, from America. But, Victorian, yeah. You know, he was Victorian. But um, when, the way that Lovecraft wrote was kind of old for his time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, later he, on, he, he, he does change over to more modern-esque, you know, writing styles. Yeah. Like I was saying, he moved around a bunch, you know, after, his, you know, parents died and got married and moved to New York. Later on, after he got divorced and moved back in with his aunts, he 
changed. Something yeah. changed in him where he wanted to go and see new places, mm-hmm. new people. Like, he softened. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, something happened, uh, whether it was more drama and more pain in his life, something happened where he, was, he wasn't as racist. He wanted to go see things. His writing style changed. You know, where, where, you know, it wasn't super old school gothic style in an age that just didn't <laughs> read that way yeah. anymore, you know? Uh, and so it's, it's, it shows you the evolution of him as a, a, a human being and as an artist, mm-hmm. you know? Just from s- stepping outside of that little box that he had himself in. So what do you guys think? What, what is it? that makes his stuff so lasting? I, I honestly think it's the mystery. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's the... What's the line? Uh, you've, the, the, you know, the fear of the unknown, mm-hmm. you know, the, and the greatest unknown is fear or something, like, whatever that line is. Um, I think that's what it is. I think it's not knowing exactly where he came up with this stuff, how it works into our culture, and how on point a lot of it makes you feel, you know, whether it's the dread, the terror, the this, the that, you know, uh, and it also being moldable, yeah. you know, and it's ever-changing because you can take it and run with it and you're just expanding on it. And it's not going to be, you know, poo-pooed or shit upon because it's not, you know, Star Wars canon or it's not this canon or it's not, it's, he made it, to be used for everyone. Well, that's uh, his his universe. Is, his universe. His universe is so vast mm-hmm. that you. That's the thing is you can. You know, it, that's the whole point. It, it's it's, you know, all of his mythos, his creatures, and everything else. They're so, you know, they're so vast and so unexplainable. Nebulous. Yeah. Yeah. That you can. The whole idea of each one of these stories that takes place in the mythos is that you can take a magnifying glass and look at one person's life for one year or one day or one hour or whatever time that they spent searching out this knowledge or, or, or whatever it was, mm-hmm. spend that time with them. And that's the, that's the story. Right. And then you move that around, yeah. you know what I mean? To, to different people that, that have gotten kind of close to that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They were talking about Dagon, the sea God. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. you know, they, you know, he mentions him in many places, yeah. you know, so, uh, you, you know, it, you don't have to meet Dagon the Sea God for you to touch Dagon the Sea God in some way. Right. You and know to deal I mean? with the fish people or the that yeah. people. You know but what that's, I mean? in general, what makes it so lasting, I think it's just the fish people. It's <laughs> always the answer. Yeah, you know it might I mean? be. Even even Cthulhu is kind of he's all I think tentacle he, faced and fishy. Okay, I think he had a I mean? thing with fish. Well, <laughs> you know I, I'm I mean? thinking like, it's he, the fact that you know you, you pull things from the deep. You know, from from the oh, I'm, bottom of the ocean. I'm a lover of deep sea stuff yeah, because it's so weird and bizarre. bizarre. Yeah, you know what I mean. It, it's kind of like when we talked about um, Thunderbirds. Mm-hmm. You know, how I talked about these creatures, like, you know what I mean, in, in the air. That, but, like, um, they're, they're so foreign to us, you yeah. know what I mean? If, yeah. you're, if you look at an ostrich, 
You know what I mean? And the way that they walk and the way that they move and, and you're, you know what I mean? And the way that they knock the bowl of, of food out of your hand well, and try to eat it and bite at your face because they're crazy bastards. Right. It's the same thing, you know what I mean, with, uh, you know, with octopus. Well, you're, you're you talking know, early just, 1900s yeah. to 1920, 1930. Today, we've explored what? You know, a third of the ocean? Yeah. Can you imagine in the early 1900s? How much do we explore? Like one sixteenth? You know what I mean? Basically just skimming the top of certain little parts. Yeah, anything you pulled up, you're, you're like, what the hell is that thing? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, again, it's... But that goes back to his original idea, is the unknown, the deep, the, the dark. But he, the he, took those, he took those creatures, right? Yeah. He took those creatures and he said, okay, instead of them coming up from the depths... It's the same sort of creatures, but they're coming from outer space. Let's take a little bit from this one, a little bit from who, that one, mix match them together. Yeah, but now with who maybe live some in bat the wings sea. or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So they, so you know, it's kind of like they come from space, and well, you know, to hide, they hide from the furthest place on the Earth that we could possibly Antarctica, imagine. Antarctica, yeah. deep sea, yeah, yeah, uh, the Our cable. mines. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I, th- I think that's what it is. I think it's just the nebulous blackness which is our minds you know and how we like to fill fill in blanks and solve puzzles with our brains but when it's just nothingness what do you do with that you know anything you want really so if you could ask lovecraft anything (laughs) what would it be i i don't know i I, uh... i could ask lovecraft anything was she a creepy fat person? <laughs> Man, that's a hard question. Yeah, I'm a, do you I go just, immediately to his, his fiction or his personal life? I, I well, no, that's the thing is that I'm thinking and I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, I could just be like, so what's the deal? <laughs> well, I, honestly, I think, and really, this was based on our our conversation tonight. I'd love to sit down and get a candid answer for from him. And ask him, uh, what's your what was your end game here? Like, what? How much of this was pre or like? Did did you plan for this to be as momentous as it became? Did you did you uh, you know did you work with other writers and allow them to to delve into your mythos and write about it to create this everlasting thing, or was this just a, a freak accident and I think you're it was a, a social misfit? I think it was... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, you know. Yeah, no, I think it was an in-the-moment thing. Yeah. You know, it, it's like all the bands that came out of the the 60s, you know? Yeah. You know, the, the Doors and, and Hendrix and all those bands that were in that same community, you know, and they're all sharing and, and drinking and smoking and, you know, sexing and all, all... But they were all in that same sort of, like... You know, hippie, free yeah. love community, but they all hung out with each other, and but they came out, and we still listen to them. Yeah, you know, and they they've lasted so long because of their personal lives, the drama, the talent. the talent. You know, there's all those things combined. That's probably, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was just a moment in time that has still stuck. I mean, it's it's uh. You know, uh, to meet someone who's who's created uh, so much, you know, so much, you know, to offer so much. I, I don't know. I'd just be like, you know, you were so. I don't think that he was necessarily racist. 
right? Uh, from a standpoint, I think that a lot of it comes from the time that he lived in mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I mean, he was, absolutely, but I think the whole world was at that point. Yeah, I don't fault him for it. I mean, that's you the know time. What I mean? you, know, you know, again, but, the moment, the time he was in. Yeah. But, but with his character, I, I mean, I think the guy was, was probably terrified of people. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I think total I think, xenophobic, well, we, yeah. agoraphobic, whatever so, you want to call it. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't think that I, you know, with with the way I don't think he would grant me an audience. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> to ask him a question, <laughs> that's, and that's, that's why I'm that that's why I'm kind of like I don't know if struggling. I would. I don't know. Yeah, I'm like I don't think that he would have anything to say to me. You know, I'd be like, <laughs> you know, uh, excuse me, sir, Mr. Scarborough <laughs> was calling. Leave that asshole at the door. <laughs> you know what I mean? He wouldn't even be that bold. He'd be like, uh, Howard, we're ordering pizza. Do you want pepperoni? <laughs> <laughs> well, can you speak up? <laughs> Wait, I'm painting him in a bed. Yes, you <laughs> are. Like, oh, man. I think I'd, I would just ask him if he wanted to go get sushi. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. Cthulhu. Hot Cthulhu. Shogoth. I wonder if Cthulhu hangs out with Zozo. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you know Maybe. what I mean? Just, just curious. So, Ron, what do you have going on recently? Anything to tell us about? I am in the middle of a book tour for my latest book. It's called Little Girls, and uh, I've just come from a bunch of signings. And uh, for the month of September, uh, I'm doing a bunch of radio shows, and this is the first one. Nice. I recognize this will be played in October, so we'll confuse a lot of people. But you know, past, oh, present, the, yeah. past, present, future. That's it, right. It works with Lovecraft. That, I think so. so. We're good. Cosmic September. There we go. <laughs> right. There you go. But uh, yeah, so have a good time. Nice. So man. make sure you go on uh, whatever you use, uh, Kindle, Amazon, whatever, and uh, check out Ronald Malfi's Little Girls. That sounds sounds really bad. You named the book. (laughs) That sounds really bad. You should see the emails I got from my editor or my my agent as I'm writing it. The subject line says, how far have you gotten with little girls? I know the FBI is monitoring all my computers now, so enjoy. Oh, my God. That's great. That's great, man. (laughs) <laughs> All right, what's your what's your uh, your site? RonMalfi.com is the website. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, and I'm on uh, about seven beers. So uh, there we are. Good times. <laughs> All right, thanks for coming out, man. <laughs> thanks for having me, man. All right, we're done. See you guys later. Till next week. For listening to the Curioso Podcast. You can tweet us at Curioso Podcast. You can also check out our videos, youtube.com backslash Curioso Podcast. You can call our voicemail line, leave us a message, 443-327-9673. On your touchtone phone, that spells Hydasword. On the Curioso.com website, on the left-hand side, you can help support the show by clicking on our Amazon link. And if you're a real Curioso, we need you to go on and give us a great five-star review on iTunes. It will help us get more listeners, and it'll make you feel good about yourself. If you'd like to check out some of our sister podcasts, check out thundergrunt.com. Published... 
13 issues of his own paper, mm-hmm. the consecutive. Do, are you getting to that? Yeah, I'm just reading. But they were published because, out of order. You know, yeah, that's the weird part. <laughs> no, it's actually the conservative. Oh, oh, the conservative. Conservative. Different. That wasn't published out of order. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. It started over. It's italicized. So. Okay, we'll read it right. <clears throat> pepper that in. I'm just trying to pepper that in. I took a sip and I was like, boy, that's pumpkin-y. <laughs> I'm trying to pepper that in. Are you having a Pepper stroke? in a little bit. <laughs> I think so. Syphilis. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I literally drove for, like, 13 hours today, like, nonstop. I think I'm just like, oh, my God. This is fun. I want my own show. <laughs> <laughs> it's so relaxing. Just Isn't it? In, it's great. You sit and, I mean, we have a little bit of a structure, but we're basically just bullshitting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's Which, really what it is. No, and it's, it's like, cool. And, if, and the thing is, is it's it's basically okay. So here's the thing. I love the medium too. The whole the whole radio it's, medium is yeah. fantastic. Suck Johnny Depp.